two weeks ago, I kind of shared my heart with you all, um, and I'm going to try to do the same thing again. Um, because what I've known life to be like is that sometimes we get caught up in trying to, everything is from our perspective. Life becomes our perspective, and when it doesn't add up, we can become critical or we, we can get down, we can get discouraged, we can think, well, it's got to work this way because this is the lack I'm feeling or this is the, the situation I find myself in. And when we, we walk in that all the time, we tend to portray it or project it it, it, be, it becomes natural. We look for it all the time. Um, and so it, it can be pro, projected to those that are closest to us. It even can be projected onto our God. And that's not who He is, but because of circumstances and situations, we, it begins to pile up until we begin to walk in the truth of who God is. And that means we have to sometimes pull, our, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. Now, not everything can be done this way, but there are times where you have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and say, I'm not going to do it like this anymore longer because I keep getting the same thing, so I'm going to try something different. And oftentimes, as I said two weeks ago, you get, you get into this vein and you can get overcome by it all, and you think, is it really happening? Is it really making a difference? Well, I, I, when I get to that overwhelming spot, I have to go to my quiet place, I have to go to my prayer closet, and I begin to unload on God. And then God just listens. But I have, in order for me to mature, I have to take the unloading part and go to the next step and begin to walk in who He is for the next part of the journey. It's one thing to unload and let ourselves emotionally unburden ourselves, but we have to be able to also create character in our lives by faith. I believe that you are not going to be the same way that you are today as you will be next week or the next month or the next year. In this day and age, I heard that <laughs> someone was already timing me. I'm not old, I'm not even out of my <laughs> not even out of my introduction yet. Anyway, um, A lot of times we have to be able to take and go to places that we, we don't have a grid yet for, but we have to trust that it's there. You may not have the experience of God's character in this certain circumstance that you're in, but you have to take a step of faith and get and walk it out just like Peter had to step out of the boat into the water looking at his face, knowing that he was able to walk on water, 
It was a grid he didn't have a grid for. But he had to take that step. And for you and I, we have to be able to do that in our lives each, each and every day, or we continue to allow things to just come in at us. The title of my message today is Feel the Love. I heard it's a Conway West song <laughs> I, uh, or album. And um, you know what? I know who he is, but I've never heard the album. So um, feel the love. <laughs> uh, we're continuing on in our series with Ephesians. This is one of my favorite books. And uh, uh, when I first started ministry many years ago, the pastor I worked with said, yeah, I, I've read, I read Ephesians every day for 30 days. And then you begin to walk it out. So I, I challenge you to take the book of Ephesians and maybe read it every day. It's only six chapters, but read it every day. You begin to, oh yeah, that's that part, that's that part. It starts to sink in. But this morning we're going to address one of the pinnacles of Scripture, Paul's benediction on the love of God. Our text is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, and if you have your Bibles, um, that would be a good time to turn your phones on and uh, join me if you... Uh, And I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation and uh, in just a few moments. Paul has seen a glimpse of God's love. He's so aware of how fast and how big it is. The love of God revealed in Christ on the cross was a bigger asteroid than the one that supposedly killed all the dinosaurs. How do you measure love like that? How do you experience it? Paul doesn't give a teaching. He just starts praying. He's praying for you and I. This isn't a matter of instruction. It's a matter of meditation. Now, when you've been a spiritual leader, like I have for 30-some years, as long as I've been married, um, you learn that you are in what you're incapable of doing. You can love people, but you cannot make them feel loved. You can serve people, but you cannot serve them into any particular outcome. It's interesting that sometimes when you give your life to somebody, it there's, becomes this... Um, because we're, we have such a, a thinking of, of such independence and such out, having an entrepreneurial type of attitude that you have to do it all by yourself. When you get into a healthy love or healthy uh, situation or uh, paradigm, a, a, a culture where, there is, where there's family, it becomes a little bit like... The good is bad and the bad is good. Does that make sense? 
Like when you get into a paradigm where everything is accomplished or we celebrate people who are who can do great things, and we put them on pedestals, and we emulate that that's where we have to be. That's where we have to be successful. And so we have to accomplish it all. We have to make it happen. It all rests on our shoulders. We have to uh, get through this difficulty, or we have to make this million dollars, or we have to retire by 55, or we just need to just make it happen. And, and it becomes all about ourselves, and we get into this this tension. But when we, we get into a family where there is love, where there is uh, grace, where there's the ability to put an arm around the shoulder and say, you don't have to carry this by yourself, we sometimes go, ooh, this feels a little bit weird. I, I want to tell you that family's not supposed to be weird. It's normal. Our families have gotten kind of weird. <laughs> okay? Our situations where we have grown up have become a little bit weird. They've become out of the norm, and so we are, are grasping and wanting. There's an, there's an inward need to be loved and to feel loved, and yet it's, when we experience, we don't know what to do with it. We're still trying to secure it. We're still trying to make us earn it somehow. We've got to get it from somewhere. And um, I've learned as a leader that when you create the, the environment or the culture of a family, that sometimes you can be given the undue attention that maybe you're trying to control or create people to be something that they're not. Like the good is bad and the bad is good. So I can't serve anybody into a particular outcome. I can't make people walk in this. I can only gather. I can only reflect what God has given to me. So as an ability, as a leader... We, we have to do, we have to live within the limitations of human nature. One person can look up at the stars and feel insignificant. The other looks up and feels magnificent. One person can read the headlines and get hope. Another feels inspired to get their hands dirty and wants to do something about it. The other says, oh no, oh my, I'm going to give up. Eugene Peterson talks about pastoring. He says, um, pastoring is a job. It's not, it's not a glamorous job. It's, it's the very taking out the laundry and changing the diapers kind of job. I, I didn't say this. I'm not bringing any reflection of where we are at. Okay? But as a spiritual leader, I, I, I'm... I'm not trying to grow you. Life will do that. The Holy Spirit will do that. I'm just here to tend the garden. The work of bringing people into a tangible experience of being loved is a lifelong task of, of spiritual leadership. Some people believe in love. Some people think 
they know how to define love, some people assume that God and hopefully a few others will love them. But very few feel so taken, so transformed by love that it reshapes their existence. Understanding love through experience is like climbing Mount Everest. The climb of Everest isn't close to being the most difficult of the world's mountains, major mountains. In fact, it's relatively easy from a technical standpoint. The issue is the height of the mountain itself. When you're up that high, the air gets thinner and thinner and thinner. You have to stay at one height long enough and the long time, sometimes weeks, just to get your body used to the lack of oxygen. It would be deadly to move any faster. And then you have to start leaving more and more non-essentials behind. Matter of fact, if you were to go to, to Everest, you would find that it is really a trail of junk. There is people's junk all the way through that climb. Matter of fact, there are people who haven't made it. on that climb. Then, along the way, storms may come. Without warning, sheets of ice as size of houses can fall upon the path. Wind gusts can literally blow you off the mountain. Sleet and freezing rain make certain sections treacherous. treacherous. The sudden plummets in temperature can, can make the unprepared climber freeze to death. Right along the path, that you're taking. The love of God is our Everest. Few people even try to scale it. Fewer still have reached its peak. This is not to say that the love of God is somewhere in Nepal. The fullness of God's love lives inside of our hearts. But until we desire to experience that love and turn our hearts toward it, we will stay at the foot of the mountain. There's a lot of good at the, front, at, the, at the foot of the mountain. You can grow your crops. You can live your life and feel secure in the shadow of the Most High. But just imagine for just a moment your perspective when you look upon the world from the summit, from the peak. Jonathan Craigor writes about the Everest in his book, Into Thin Air, and his autobiography about the tragedy they suffered as they scaled the world's highest mountain in 1996. He writes, There were many, many fine reasons not to go. But attempting to climb Everest is an intrinsically irrational act. A triumph of desire over sensibility. Any person who would seriously consider it is almost by definition beyond the sway of reasoned argument. Like, it's not just, I'm just going to do Everest tomorrow. Like, let's just go. <laughs> okay, can I tell you a little something about my wife? <laughs> yeah, well, she will, if she was here, she would, she'd be okay with what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> On our sabbatical, back in 2013, we were in Arizona. And we went to this, we learned of this place to hike. So we got to this park, and we did, you know, this park. It was 
it was okay. Like, it was just this flat thing. But we knew that there was this mountain in the distance. Okay, and so it's Arizona, folks. It's Arizona, okay? So you have to be understanding that it can get hot. It can get terribly hot, and you have to be careful about having liquid, having food. And so we're having a nice hike. Almost finished. We run into this couple, and this couple says, oh, yeah, we just came from the mountain. Yeah, we just came from the mountain. My wife, in her curiosity, because you need to know, she loves a challenge. Okay? She likes hiking. When we went to Arizona before, she would do uh, the one in the, by, um, oh, right in the middle of Phoenix there. But uh, this was a different place. This was a higher mountain. And so these, these people said, well, it, it's a very difficult hike. You shouldn't do it. Now, when you say that to my wife, it's like saying, take him to a dog. I just, I'm going to do it. So we had bottle of water, little bottle of water, and uh, we're on our way up. We get to the top. Now, this took a few hours to get to the top. And uh, one of the locals says, uh, so, is that all you got? Yeah. The bottled water was almost empty. There was about this much. He says, is that all you got? Uh, yeah. Do you have any food? Mm, no. He said, never, ever, ever do you do this hike without water, without food. And began to give us his water and his food. Don't. Like, and my wife's just going, how? Ah, we made it. Yeah, we're going to go down. We're going to do it. We're going to conquer this sucker. And I'm like, I like a good challenge. I also, you know, manly, don't want to have my wife be more manly than me to do the hike thing. So I got to, you know, put on my good. But I'm thinking, did you hear him? He just said, we should have more water and more like food. Yeah, so when we got down, which took a little longer than getting up, um, we were tired. Matter of fact, we were thankful, but it was like a major hike. But my wife likes to do those types of things. If, if it's a challenge, whether, she feel, whether she's in pain or not, it's a challenge, and she's going to accomplish it. And I, I've learned that I just go along with, with her. I'm there for her as her protector, but I've learned never to say, I told you so, or we should have not gone. I just, I realize. So, you know, she's up for things. So you saw on our Facebook that we went, we took our bikes with the syringe there to uh, the berry barn. I just, I just learned to say, yeah, we'll do the berry barn. No problem. So we, you know, we leave Martinsville to go to the berry barn on our bikes. Time I got back, my bum was sore. My knees were sore. I could barely walk up the stairs. You know, and um, yeah, like 
when you get back, you think, oh, I don't feel too bad. I don't feel, it's okay. Just, just give it about a few minutes and about an hour. Your body will begin to tell you, you, you've, you create havoc. But, you know, that's the type of life that my wife has, and I've, I've learned to go along with it. And I just pray that we will survive by the end. But sometimes we have to realize that if you don't go for it, you'll never get it. Because there's been a lot of times where in, inwardly I go, I don't really want to do this. I don't really want to go to the Berry Barn, on my bike, thank you very much. I got a car. I'd rather enjoy going in by the car, and I'll have my pierogies and you know, sausage there, and I get in my car, and I come home. Now, you have to realize that on the way back from the Berry Barn, it started to rain. Matter of fact, those drops got a little hard, a little white hard, hitting us, and my shorts were now becoming a wetsuit. And about the time you're thinking, and there is no shoulder on, the val on, that, on that stretch between the very barn and where we turned off, no shoulder. You just like, you're praying that you're going into traffic and you're praying for all the people that are coming at you that they see you. The thing is, you get idiot drivers that will, when they get to you, they decide they, decide they want to honk and tell you you're an idiot. I already know that in the middle of rain, okay? I don't need someone to honk their horn at me and go, you shouldn't be there. Done there, ding, ding, it's okay. But we have to realize that there are creature comforts that we all have. It's like being at the base camp, the expedition, in fact, becomes this a Calvinist undertaking, the ratio of misery to pleasure was greater by an order of magnitude than, than any mountain that he had been on. This is what he began to, uh, this Jonathan Greger continues to write. He says, above the comforts of the base camp, the expedition, in fact, became the most Calvinist undertaking. The ratio of misery to pleasure was greater by an order of magnitude than any mountain I'd been on. I quickly came to understand that climbing Everest was primarily about enduring pain. And in subjecting ourselves to week after week toil, tedium, and suffering, it struck me that most of us were probably seeking above all else something like a state of grace. Grace is the atmosphere of the love of God. And all the sufferings of life have meaning if they are only incidental cost of growing in our understanding of love. Taking this analogy a bit further, spiritual leaders are like Sherpas. Sherpas are the people that guide the people who are going up the mountain. They've seen enough of this mountain to become addicted to it. They live upon it. They become somewhat acclimatized by it. They're here to help carry your things until you've reached the point where you don't need them anymore. Spiritual leaders are here to keep you on the trail if you want to be. Will keep you from climbing too fast for your own good sometimes. This prayer is like the Sherpa's Creed. We pray something like, 
what Paul prayed over our people all the time. It centers our efforts. It helps seize what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's not trying to make you more successful. He's not trying to make you more spiritual in and out of itself. He wants you to experience more love. Encountering the love of God is sometimes like flying over Everest. You get the same view, but you don't have context for it. Our relationships, our discipleship, our communal practices are all geared around being formed by the love of God. This doesn't mean we earn it. God's love is free. But you can never earn something as big as Everest anyway. We must first stay at whatever elevation we are presently at until we are ready for the trail leading upwards. And we acclimatize to that love of God by meditating on it. So church, that's how life goes. We are on this journey to know the love of God. As your Sherpa, I know where we're going. I'm accustomed to, I will carry your things. But the ultimate thing is that this this going to the summit to experience the love of God is something that is a dangerous journey. It will take you different places. You will experience things that you thought you wouldn't experience, but as you've gone through them, you know and experience the love of God, the character of who He is, because you've experienced it. I can't give you those experiences. Those are things you have to experience yourself as you're walking by faith in His love and in His mercy and wanting more will cause you to keep going, even though it may be difficult. Now, some of us here have a wide range of experiences of things that we have gone through, and we feel like we could almost give up. We just want to to feel accepted and and understood and, and to succeed. God is there to do that. But it is a personal journey that you have to willfully say, I want to get to the summit. I'm going to endure the pain because I know that when I get to the summit and I get to see the great immensity of God's love and the perspective that he has, it's totally different. It's one that will totally radicalize your life. So... With that aspect, let's read. You're going to say, oh man, he's just starting? This is going to be a long sermon. Trust me. I've said that before, haven't I? So I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the perfect Father of every father and child in heaven and on earth. And I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Wow, what a prayer for you and I. So what does that say? Every one of us here has a perfect father. But you don't know what I've... You have a perfect father. Two, 
the unlimited riches of God's glory and favor are to spring up from within you. Can I say that again? The unlimited riches of God's glory and favor are to spring up from you. But I don't feel that. Tell that soul to get in line with the Spirit. Okay? Now, when I say the Spirit, that God's, you were created as body, soul, and spirit. And therefore, it is the spiritual aspect of, of who you are that you have to allow to be leader in your life. To understand and to walk in the concept of God's love for you, you have to be led by the spirit man, not by the soulish one. The soul will always tell you you're out of peace and you need something to fix it. And that's why many Christians get caught in allowing themselves to be led by, their, by the soulish realm. Their mind their will, their emotions. When I don't feel good, then God's not with me. That's where faith comes in. The spirit man says, this is who God is, therefore I'm going to believe who God is, and I'm going to walk out on the water. Carrying on. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love will be, become the very source and root of your life. What does this say? His, re- his love is a resting place. It is our, the truest of our life starts from that resting place. Not from how you feel, not from your lack. It starts right there, from his love. Carrying on, then verse 18, then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. What does that say? You and I are meant and made to explore the depths and dimensions of God's love. This love transcends your human reasoning. But it doesn't transcend your human experience. Carrying on, verse 20. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for His miraculous power constantly energizes you. This is what we believe in. God has made our whole life into a journey of love. This is the one thing we must believe. He is using everything we experience to make us more capable of carrying his love. Now, 
we offer up to God all the glorious praise that rises from every church and every generation through Jesus Christ and all that will be yet be manifest through time and eternity. Amen. The natural and effortless reaction to being love is like, is like this is to worship. The natural, effortless reaction to being loved like this is to worship. The highest aim of life in this age and the age to come is to know this love. And the experience of being overwhelmed by this love is the experience of having the fullness of God pass through you. That's what this prayer is saying. So, in conclusion, ta-da, see? You thought I was going to go heavy. I want you to understand that we live in a day and age where we really have to understand what that love is. The calling of this love actually is. You see, the same very love that the Father has for the Son is now given to you and I. For we, as a matter of fact, in the Son, the point is clear in John 17. When Jesus prayed that his disciples and all the world would know that the Father has loved them even as you have loved me. A few sentences later in John 17, verse 23, it says, Father, I made your name known to them so that the very same love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You see, you and I have been made in love. The capacity to go to the summit is in your grasp within you. I guess the point here is just how does this work? How do we take what Paul has prayed and how do we really bring it down to the nitty-gritty of, of everyday life? If Christ resides in us and we in Christ we then have to trust what God says about himself and us in the person of Jesus Christ. By faith, we have to participate in the triune love of God, and that's why Paul was praying this. So I'd like to give you a couple of, maybe some things that could help in this effort of walking in this love. When you're an empty, you're to drink the fullness of his love. When you're empty, you're to drink the fullness of his love. Before you write it down on Facebook and say how bad things are and that you're on empty, to tell the world maybe you should go to God first. When we face temptation, we 
were to drink the strength of God's love. Before you open up that web page, before you cheat on a receipt, before there is a temptation that will take you down a road where you don't want to be, that's, that almost exalts itself against the love of God for you, stop, drink in the strength of God's love. When we catch ourselves feeling superior, we're to drink the mercy of God's love. Remembering that we ourselves are forgiven sinners. When we think we got it together, just remember, hey, we're forgiven. We're not there, and people are there. If they'd only get their act together like me, we never would say that. But in our heart, we go, come on, just, you can retire at 55 like me. You can, you have to be careful with that. Drink in the mercy of God's love. When we feel condemned, we're to drink of the forgiveness of God's love. When we feel despair, we're to drink the hope of God's love. When we feel lifeless, we're to drink the abundant life that is God's love. When we feel hate, we're to drink in the love that led Christ to give up his life for those who hated him. Let me say that again. When we feel hate... Or, can I say fearful? <laughs> Church, we have to look at things from the vantage point that we are in the love of God. We're to drink in the love that led Christ to give up his life for those who hated him. You know, it's easy to say that we love or we know love, but the rubber meets the road when we have to do something that challenges our status quo. When I sat by the bedside of my mother, all that could go through my mind was Um, a couple of things. And one is, I began to think maybe I didn't do enough. And then I was reminded of those phone calls that come right at the wrong time. I'm in the middle of counseling and my mom calls and I go, Oh, it's my mom. Like, there are sometimes in Saskatchewan, we are two hours ahead of, of BC time, so she can call when it's 9 o'clock at night. Her time, it's 11 o'clock my time. Sometimes when we... We, we get in the grips that we think we know the love of God, then there becomes the challenge in our lifestyle to live it out, and it, it causes us to sacrifice our comfort. 
And don't let it become that it, be, it stares you in the face afterwards and you go, oh, I should have done more back then. Hindsight's always 20-20. The trick is to try to understand that before it's over. You see, there is a time where we will be called upon and we will have to sacrifice and lay down our lives in order to experience the fullness of His love. It's all there in Christ. He is the truth and He is the life and we must be rooted in Him and Him alone. Love conquers all. I came across, and I'll, I'll end with this, I came across this uh, illustration of, <laughs> of the sacrificial love of God. And it's back in, it's either December or October of 2016. And um, rescue workers had been laboring for 12 hours on the site of four collapsed residential buildings in China. And they discovered a survivor in the rubble. It's a three-year-old girl wrapped tightly in the arms of her dead father. This little girl was found buried deep in a massive pile of crumbled cement where the old buildings poorly constructed, overcrowded, rain-laden once stood. The structures had been home to a large number of immigrant workers, numbered among the hundreds of millions that have made the move from the Chinese countryside to the urban area to help meet the demand for the nation's growing economy at that time. Most of the workers remained impoverished and faced restrictions where they could live. Rescue workers made the discovery of this father's body when they removed a thick cement pillar to find this father's body draped over this little girl, shielding her from the crushing weight of the building. This man was 26 years old. But she sustained only minor injuries. One worker told reporters the child was able to survive entirely due to the fact that her father used his own flesh and blood to prop up a life-saving space for his daughter. Church, Christ has given you a life-saving space. He took on the sins of the world. You and I could be forgiven. You and I could be rescued. That you and I could be redeemed. That we, in fact, are not just an effect of something that we get in the future, but it is a reality that we live in today because of that great love. When we partake of it at, at the communion table, we are partaking of that which was lavishly given to us, his life. And that life is the light 
and the life of who we are. It's by his faithfulness that we feed on that. At, we, feed the, we eat the bread and we drink the cup because we proclaim what he has done for our lives. It's not just a hope so. It's a reality of what he has done for you and me. And if he has gone that to that degree, to sacrifice his life, to give you a life-saving space, that space is there for you to have life. That little girl went on to live. And you and I can live as we walk in the light and the love of who Jesus is. We want to be a, a church that brings across a life giving gospel and in a kingdom that can be extended, we have to know that love in our hearts and walk in it daily. And not allow the pressures of this thing or that thing to become bigger than the love that he has already given to you and I. I don't want to condemn you this morning. I want you to live in the reality that you can step out on the water like Peter did. Look full in his wonderful face and say, that's my God, that's my Father, that's the love that I can succeed and I will get through this. When everything else looks like it's coming in and it looks like everything you're going down, you can walk on the water. You can get through because the very essence of who Jesus is gave you a life-saving space. Not just so that you could survive, but that you could live. Sorry for yelling. If you're asleep, welcome. I'm almost finished. Church, I want us as a, as a body of believers that as Jesus should tarry, that we will be people living in the context and the paradigm of that divine, eternal love. That we are in the process of getting to the climax and we will get there. And we have the perspective that it is it's glorious and will make a difference in everything that we say and do and will leave a mark of the kingdom. Your situation is just a bare drop in the bucket of what God is going to do in and through you as his love is lavished and shone through you. Go for it. Go for, this, go for the summit. Get to the top. Maybe get brave and go to the next plateau for the climb to the top of Everest. I challenge you to set out from the base camp Go to the next realm. Get to the next space. Because he wants to reveal 
his very heart towards you, which is even greater than you can imagine or even think. It's his great glory that is working within you. It's already there. But I can't. You don't know what I've done. You know what? God knows all that stuff. He knows you better than you know yourself. Yet in the regardless of trying to take ourselves out, oftentimes when we, we can't comprehend a love so great and so complex and so encompassing that we almost want, we almost want to get out from underneath it and, and feel secure in the rejection that, yeah, see, I told you so, I can't be loved. Baloney, you can, you have, you already are. Awakening Church, this prayer that Paul has prayed is for us. It's for our next step in the journey. I'm your Sherpa. Connor's your Sherpa. West is your Sherpa. Leadership is your Sherpa. We will get through this and we will journey together. His love is here. And no matter how much you think, how much the enemy would love to focus in and allow you to be distracted that it isn't here because of the, the lack of experience or the lack of things that are taking place, you have to stop with the lies and walk in faith and get out on the, on the water and walk in the fullness of the reality of his life.